Welcome to the Abstract Podcast. My name is Greg Refner, and we have the pleasure today of speaking with Alice Hyman, um, generally known as one of the industry thought leaders on the complex sale. And uh, before we begin, I'll let uh, Alice introduce herself and maybe share a little bit of background about herself, and uh, then we'll dive into our topic today. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. I'm excited to talk about my favorite subject, the complex sale. Um, some of you out there know that I was once with the Miller Hyman Group. That was a company that my father founded with his partner, Bob Miller, um, back in the 70s. But I've been in business for myself for over 20 years. I won't tell you how many years <laughs> over 20, but a long time. And it's always been my pleasure to work with companies who have a complex sale and to work with the leaders of those companies uh, to make sure that they are setting up a sales organization that can navigate the complex sale so that, of course, they can close more deals and make more customers supremely happy. Love it. That's perfect. And we're going to kind of maybe work backwards a little bit and get to that kind of top-down approach as we go through our conversation today. Um, but I want to give just a little bit of background, I think, um, your background, I want to spend just a couple more minutes diving into because I think it lends a lot of credibility to what we're going to talk to talk about today. Um, and I want to first start with the fact that you went to school and got a master's in education, and here you are talking about complex sales. Um, everybody else I know with a degree in education is a teacher. So how did that happen? <laughs> Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Um, from kindergarten to... Um... Fortune 500 companies. Well, it it wasn't a, a clear path. Uh, originally, I, I never really thought I would be in sales as a profession. I did go to school and get an undergraduate degree in education, in special education, and a graduate degree, which gave me a reading specialist credential. And I did actually teach for 13 years. Okay. But uh, what a lot of people don't know about me is that I'm an entrepreneur. So. I love sales, I'm good at sales, and uh, that is definitely my passion, but I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a starter of things. And so even while I was teaching, I started several different things, some for-profit and some non-profit, and I actually had my first business while I was teaching. But um, all that time, of course, my father and Bob Miller were growing Miller Hyman, and I got asked to do projects. <laughs> so as you can imagine, um, when your dad asks you, hey, can you do this project, you do it. And yeah. my curriculum background is what was really most interesting to him because they were designing curriculum. And even though it wasn't for children, it was for adults, curriculum design is similar. And so I did do some fun projects for him. I even designed some great games for the salespeople to play so that they had some fun meeting their goals. So I got catapulted into the world of sales when I went to work for Miller Hyman in, oh my gosh, I think it was 1994. I went to work for Miller Hyman full time after having done projects with them for years and literally out of the classroom and into the corporate world and working with some of the largest companies in the entire world, like Coca-Cola, Hewlett Packard, AT&T, Fidelity Investments, Dow Chemical. Um, yes, it was a little bit of uh, kind of shock at first, yeah. uh, but as, as we all know, it turned out okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> as it often does when you kind of find that passion and your goal in life and you put all your energy and thought into that, you know, it generally works out. And so let's talk. So complex sale. Um, I think if you ask 30 people, you might get 30 different answers as to what a complex sales is. And their answers are probably relative to their experience that they've had. How would you define a complex sale just so we have some kind of a ground floor understanding to work off of today? Yeah, so a complex sale is something, a sale that has complexities to it, right? So that's why it can be different to each company. But let's just kind of go with the basics. We have retail, right? We all know what retail is. You walk into someplace and you buy stuff. It's grocery, it's clothing, it's sporting goods, things like that. And we have retail on the internet now too, right? You can go to a web store and buy whatever you need. Yep. Um, there are salespeople involved. Some of them are on a chat and some of them are sitting in <laughs> the store. But it's not highly complex in any way. It's not even very complex because I know what I need. Usually I walk in, I need clothes. I don't know exactly which clothes. I might need a little help. I might not. I check out and pay, right? I yep. get to the website. I go look for what I want. I check out and I pay. And the next kind of sale is a business to business. Uh, sorry, a business to consumer sale. I will get to business to business in a second, but a business to consumer sale, which might be something like real estate, insurance, um, wealth management, mortgage, these are businesses that sell to consumers, but not in a retail setting necessarily. Um, and of course that can be done online as well nowadays. And then we have a business to business sale, which is some of those same that I just mentioned, it could be commercial real estate, business selling to a business, insurance being sold from a business to a business. And then we have a business to business complex sale, which is where I live. Okay. Um, and that is a business selling to another business. And there are a set of things that come into play that make it complex, like large dollar stakes. So we're not talking about $5,000 or $10,000 now, right? We're talking about 50,000, 100,000, a million, several million. So that can range for different companies. For some companies, a $50,000 sale could be quite complex. And for other companies, it doesn't really get complex until it's much larger into the hundreds of thousands or millions. Mm -hmm. So that's just one piece. Another okay. piece is that there are many players. So not just on the buying side, but on the selling side today, there are many players as well. So I know yep. Greg, that you've seen this yourself where, you know, you send a salesperson out um, and most of the companies I work with are under $100 million. So they're selling to companies that are multi-million, billion-dollar companies. There are going to be a lot of people involved in the sales. So out goes the salesperson looking for the three, four, five, eight, ten people who are going to be involved in making the decision. Uh -huh. That starts to get complex. And if there's that many people on the buying side, on the selling side, I need some people too. I need yeah. a team. Absolutely. And, uh, so we put those together and we've got a lot of people, a lot of personalities, a lot of thought processes going on, a lot of personal wins and personal losses to be dealt with. And that makes it complex. Now, there are some other things that can come into play as well, um, like 
really complex contracts and when the attorneys start getting involved. There could be technical complexities where there are integrations that have to match. So even if all 12 people said yes, but the IT people say, we can't make these two things work together, right? So when you put all of those kinds of things together, it lengthens the sales cycle. And now it's not a day or two or a week or two, it's months and sometimes years. So oh, yeah. all of those things together is what makes a complex sale. Got it. Okay, perfect. So I think we were on the same page there in terms of number of stakeholders, both internally at the vendor and at the prospect, um, dollar size, the types of problems they're trying to solve for. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. And um, your, your kind of comment about buying in the consumer world, moving online, uh, some of the world changes that have happened have kind of forced that transition, which is actually a good segue into mm -hmm. what we ultimately want to talk about today, which is how do we teach remote sales reps that maybe need to pull in a product specialist, a sales engineer, executive support on their side? How do we teach these reps who are maybe a little bit more unfamiliar with operating from their home? Um, to manage these complex sales motions over one year, two years, right? And so I really wanna focus on that and hopefully our listeners can walk away with some nuggets of gold to maybe take in and start practicing. So the first thing I wanna talk about as part of that is, you know, I've hired a, a fair share of, uh, of sales reps in my time, Alice, and um, one of the things that everybody always seems to have on their resume is the dollar amounts that they've sold, the, the size of deals. And so I'm, I'm really curious to hear your perspective on what you're looking for when you're going out and hiring sales reps or coaching your, your clients on how to hire sales reps that align with the complexity of their, their sales motions and maybe what are some of those things on the resume that we should be looking for as red flags or like green flags. We'd love to hear your perspective on that and start kind of the hiring motion for complex sales and what's probably going to be a, a very long time we spend selling remote. Right. So we've kind of got two things we want to unwrap there. One is how do you hire the right kind of person to do this job? And two, how do you take the people who are already doing this complex sale, now doing it from home, you know, remote, virtual selling without being able to do a face-to-face -face meeting, right? Yeah. Yep. So why don't we start with the hiring piece? Because I think that's really important. And um, the first thing I want to say about hiring when you are hiring sales talent do not do this alone this is not an easy task it's like you know don't try this at home yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no don't you need an expert so you need someone who is going to set up the sales process for you i'm sorry the hiring process for you right so how are you going to hire these people, what are all the steps that you're gonna go through? And there are a lot if you wanna do it right and don't wanna get stuck with somebody who um, you're just you know, so disappointed in. Yep. You also need somebody who knows how to source candidates correctly. Now, there are tons of firms out there, talent firms that will find candidates. Some of them do it on a contingent basis and some of them are retained recruiters. Uh, it's very tempting 
to hire a contingency firm because you don't have to pay them unless they produce. Now, some of these contingency firms are fabulous. I'm not saying they're not. But what I want is a number one, I want a company who can source the very best talent for me so that I choose from the best of the best. So we have to get out there and find those kinds of firms. And I'll just throw a name out there of the company that I use because I love them so much. It's Proactivate, um, Jamie Crosby and I have worked together for many years and we have hired <laughs> some of the most top talent that um, you could ever imagine. So yeah. you find an expert, there's lots of good ones out there, but I wanna say this, even if you hire an expert at re recruiting the best talent, before that, you have to have a process in place and you have to have a really great understanding of what it is that you want this person to do and what success will look like. And instead, what most people have is a job description. Mm, interesting. A job description doesn't tell us what success will look like. It's a list of requirements that this person should have and some activities that you expect them to do. Well, I can do all of those activities and get zero results if I don't do those activities well or don't do them enough or don't do them consistently. Yeah. So there's a book that I love and I actually think it's out of print, but you can check on Amazon and if you, if you have trouble finding a copy, get a hold of me. Um, it's called, You're Not the Person I Hired. Okay, I've, 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 uh, <laughs> I've said that to myself many times. <laughs> right, and when you read the book, you just wanna like hit yourself in the head and go, oh my gosh, every mistake you've ever made hiring somebody is covered in this book. Okay. And it tells you what to do and how to do it. But the very, very first thing is understanding how you're gonna measure the results and in what time period. Okay. And that will prevent you from, you know, keeping a person hoping and praying that they're going to do better because these are the results you said you wanted by these dates. They haven't hit any of those marks. They're, they're gone. Out. Goodbye. Not only that, but when you're interviewing them, you can tell them, here are the measures. Here are the success measures that we're going to hold you to. And if that person you know, maybe they did a great job at another company because they got handed a bunch of accounts or something and then they see that you're gonna to have to have prospected this many companies by this date and had X amount of conversations, they might say, oh no, that's not for me. If you're measuring my success on prospecting, I've never done that. I got handed a group of accounts that I managed and grew. So you, you weed out the people who are not going to be successful according to your measures. Mm. So you can't just have a job description, description, Greg. You have to have success measures. So that's fascinating. I've never even thought of that before outside of I know what the ramp quota is going to look like. And if they hit their quota or not, that's going to be my success factor. I'm guessing that as part of those success factors that you're, you're mentioning, it goes a little bit deeper than just hitting quota, right? Right, so hitting quota is a lagging indicator and it's too late by mm. the time they don't hit it. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh my gosh, you let them go a whole quarter 
they didn't hit their goal and you think, well, I better give them another quarter and see what I can do to help them out. No. If they are doing the things that will make them successful along the way, every day, every week, every month, we don't get to the end and go, oh, we didn't make our quota. So we'll know after two weeks, after two weeks time, they either did it or they didn't. They either got results in two weeks or they didn't get results in two weeks. And we can make corrections at that point. Now we make those corrections and we give them two more weeks. Either they did it or they didn't. And if they still didn't, now I've got four weeks of you didn't, you didn't do it. Yeah. I don't have to wait till the end of the quarter to know that this person is probably not going to make it. Now, again, your onboarding is really important because if you bring them on and don't give them the tools and the training that, and the support that they need, and in four weeks they haven't hit your measures, that's on you. Yeah. But if you have onboarded them properly and shown them exactly what you want them to do and they haven't done it week after week after week, by six weeks for sure of them not doing the things you trained them to do, supported them to do, gave them the tools to do, they're gone. I don't Absolutely. have to wait a whole quarter for them not to hit their quota. Yeah, and that's, that's expensive, right? When we think of salaries and, and hiring managers and the time invested and licenses for tools, like that's expensive. So right. I love that you're, you're, you're talking about, here's my, my kind of short, medium, long-term goals for, for what this person needs to do outside of the lagging indicator of quota. And I, I'm guessing that helps you weed out those, those candidates that really can't walk in and, and start working in a complex sales environment, right? If they're That's right. So I don't expect them to, you know, close a deal in the first six months. I don't even expect them to close a deal necessarily in the first year if my sales cycle is that long. Yeah. What I expect to see is forward motion and doing the things that I know are moving them towards that. So that's the other reason, you know, based, just basing it on quotas, no good. If you have a complex sale, you have a long sales cycle. You couldn't possibly expect in six months time for them to ramp up and have closed a deal. So this is really important when you have a complex sale, because it's very expensive to carry a salesperson's base for an entire year. And in yeah. many cases, if you're recruiting the best, you won't just be carrying their base. They want to a guarantee to make the same amount that they would make at plan. And yep. so you're carrying their quota plus their bonus for a year to get them ramped up. So they absolutely have to be hitting those success factors. And I just can't tell you, Greg, how many companies I've seen waste so much money and keep giving these people chances and chances and chances. And then finally, you know what, by the time they've called me, they're like, well, I'm trying to decide if I should fire this guy or not. And I'm like, if you think you should fire him, you they're... are probably right. Yep. Fire them. Absolutely. Um, you're the one who's seen for this whole time that they didn't do the activity that would lead them to success. So I love that. So I think of all the, and I, I've been victim of this myself where I've been like, Oh, you know what? Like they got a couple big deals. They're going to close them at the end of the quarter. They're going to hit their number and they weren't doing anything the entire quarter, right? None of those things that in my mind, as we're thinking about this, I should have had written down as key indicators of, of progression along the way. 
So I love that. I'm going to take that away as a, a personal action item myself. Um, moving into that, right? So we have a candidate. We've identified that we have success metrics. What, um, what are you seeing changes wise in the industry around how to, to onboard and train these sales reps who, you know, now are expected to within a year, start closing a, mil closing a million dollar deal. Like Atlassian just announced last week that they're moving to hundred percent remote. Um, they're a billion dollar company, right? right. Selling you know, six figure deals sometimes. How does a company like that who, who is so complex themselves make hiring and training and onboarding sales reps to then go and sell complex sales, um, a repeatable process that's predictable. So unfortunately, Greg, most companies are not doing this well. This is a failure point that I see over and over again. We bring salespeople in now really, really humongous companies, right? Which is a small percent of the companies in the world. Yeah. Uh, they have, you know, they send you to boot camp for two weeks. Well, now they won't be sending you. You'll be doing it online. But they'll give you a boot camp where they'll download everything about their products and their services, and you'll take some sales training and you'll do some practice and um, that's all great if if they have that. The one thing those companies forget is to teach you about the buyer's mind. What you know, how to relate to the buyer. Who is the buyer you're going to be selling to? What do you need to know about them? What do you need to know about your customers? They do great boot camp on product and on selling, but they forget to teach you about the companies and the people who are most likely to buy from you. So big failure point there, even for the large companies in many cases. Now, for any company that's you know under you know a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and for most of the companies in the world that have a complex sale, that they're, they're, the vast majority of them are going to be under $500 million in revenue. Yep. They do not have budgets to bring on five, six, eight, ten 10 people, salespeople at a time and train them all together. They bring on one or two people at a time and they've got to train them. So, um, you know, we, we don't even have enough time, you know, in a week for me to really go in depth into this. But I, I will say this. We are taking salespeople out of a job that they did successfully in another company and thinking somehow that that success is going to transfer. Now, some of it, of course, will. But just because someone was successful in another job at another company with completely different circumstances <laughs> does not mean they're going to be successful at your company. Uh, when you say it so simply, Alice, it makes me just kind of cringe inside because I can't tell you how many times I've thought to myself like, oh, they hit their quota for the past seven years at XYZ company. I, they're going to come in and crush it at, at my company. Um, it generally doesn't happen that way. So right. interesting. So what is, let's just like maybe one, one kind of tidbit of information, one takeaway. What is the, the one thing that these companies that aren't doing this well could really just hone in on and say, let's focus on this for the next four weeks and see if we can just see a 1% improvement. These salespeople more time to shadow other salespeople, to talk to existing customers who know us and love us and learn from them. Who were the people involved when you made the decision? What were they thinking about? What do they care about? So if you're selling to uh, chief marketing officers and their team, you know, VPs and directors, all in marketing. 
and you don't know anything about marketing, you're a salesperson, right? And maybe you sold technology before. Now you're selling into the marketing team. What is it that marketers think about all day? What kind of people are they? Do they like to jump around, make a lot of noise and move? <laughs> or do they like to sit still and be quiet and do research and think and plan? Uh, what, what do they care about in terms of their company and the success of their company? So, you know, what, how do I even understand what a company is doing before I approach them? What other initiatives they might have? How do I even know whether they might or want to have uh, this product or this, how do I know if they need our solution? Yeah. How do I find companies, they, they might be listed as these are uh, potentially ideal customers for us because we know that companies like them have these kinds of problems to solve. So then out of that, how do I actually approach it? How do I find the people and how do I understand them? I mean, we should be teaching our salespeople psychology. Yeah. We should be teaching them how to be quiet and listen. Um, we should be teaching them how to ask a question, listen to the answer, pause a little longer, listen to see if there's anything else or prompt them, is there anything else? So the, those are the things that will make the biggest difference. And when we start talking now about virtual selling, we, we don't get to do this face-to-face -face anymore. It's even more important. So mm -hmm. I think the training time right now is is going to have to be a little longer and it's going to have to be go a little deeper. Don't assume this person knows how to sell your product and service to your customers successfully. Allow them the opportunity to listen and listen and watch and learn and they'll tell you when they think they're ready and then you listen to them and watch them. You don't just let them off on their own. Um, now, with everyone selling remotely, it's really easy to record a Zoom, record a call. Understanding that some people will refuse for you to, to be recorded, you do have to let them know. But if you ask, do you mind if I record this? Most people don't They don't mind. care, yeah, yeah. Um, and especially if you're fairly new and you just are honest about it. Listen, I'm new with this company and I'm still learning. It would really greatly help me to be able to review this call. Would you mind if I record it? So uh, we do need to be sensitive to the fact that they need more time to get up to speed and that we can't just set them loose on our customers. We, we all as sales leaders and even the CEOs of companies need to be listening to the calls or the Zooms or the demos. I had a CEO the other day. I mean, I'm not kidding. He almost threw up. He had never ever listened to any of call of the calls and he started listening to them and he just he he called me and he said, I just can't even believe my ears. It was so awful. I wanted to throw up. And I I'm like, hey, you you CEOs are letting these salespeople loose into the world to to have conversations and your sales leaders aren't listening because they're too busy or I don't know what their reasons are because they should be listening. And you're not listening, so you have no idea. I mean, even just the emails they're sending. How many CEOs out there have read the emails that their salespeople are sending? Probably so, less than 1%. Right. And sometimes they're sending them to CEOs like themselves. So you know how many bad emails you get. Is your <laughs> team guilty? Usually. Yeah. And yeah. so I sent one the other day. I got, it was so bad. I, I just looked up to see who the CEO was and I just 
sent the message and said, listen, I'm just sending you this because if it was my company, I would hope that you would do the same for me. 100%. You need to be aware. Yeah. So anyway, back to the training. Yeah. Don't the first, I don't know, six, eight weeks of calls and emails after the initial training and you let them, you know, get on the phone and start sending emails and start doing LinkedIn requests. You need to monitor that. You need to see the words they use. I saw an email the other day, wasn't even complete sentences. I couldn't even figure out, it, it didn't make any sense. And I wrote back and I said, hey, thanks for, you know, it was on LinkedIn connecting. Um, you might wanna proofread what you sent me because it's, it doesn't even make any sense. And, you know, the person was extremely appreciative. I'm sure they had cut and pasted or something, but it was literally, I mean, it was a mess. So I think that we, we assume too much okay. and you need to monitor, 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 monitor until you have seen enough successful emails. You have seen enough successful LinkedIn connections. You have heard enough successful calls to know that this person can be on their own. So really good segue into the final thing I want to talk about, which is, you know, on your LinkedIn, the CEO sales coach. So I think from what I'm hearing is that everything starts from the top down, right? So what is, what is the CEO okay, CEO okay tolerating? What type of culture are they creating? Um, are they a roadblock and inhibitor to sales success? Are they supportive of the sales motions? And so let's um, spend the last remaining couple minutes here talking about maybe what not to do as a CEO to help or to, to prevent complex sales from, from moving forward. And then maybe one or two things that CEOs can maybe look in the mirror and go, okay, I'm, I'm doing this well, right? Let's continue doubling down on this. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up from there. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Perfect. So depending on the size of the company, the role of the CEO will change in sales. I mean, the CEO's role is to run the company, be the visionary, share that vision, uh, make sure everybody's on board with the vision, make sure everybody believes what you believe. Yeah. You know, even if you're not the founder, but you have taken the lead role at a company, then it's, you know, you've taken that because you believe in the founders and you believe um, in the mission of a company. So it's really the CEO's job to lead and inspire and encourage everyone on the team to be as successful as humanly possible. Um, when I talk to my CEOs, a lot of times I say to them, hey, you need to get up in the morning, you need to look in the mirror, and you need to say, <laughs> what am I gonna do to make my team successful today? And that is really the question that every CEO needs to wake up and ask every morning. What am I going to do to make my team successful today? Now, sales is so important. Of course, every department's important. But when there's no sales, we can't pay the bills. So the CEO's role in sales changes uh, based on how old the company is, the maturity of the company for the startup versus a very mature company, and also on the size of the company. But in general, for the majority of the companies, which again are going to be under 500 million, they're probably under 100 million in sales, their business to business complex sale, right? Their CEO may still be leading sales. Their CEO, Even at a $100 million company? Um, probably not at 100 million, but at, uh, 
let's see, the last one I had that was still leading sales that was fairly was about a fifty million dollar company. Really? Yep. And wow, okay. fifty million, you you're gonna see it more often than not. Now they might have a sales manager, but they're still really the sales strategist. So uh, CEOs don't tend to hire a VP of sales or chief revenue officer, chief sales officer, chief marketing officer until they get fairly big because that's an expensive expensive person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I will say though, in some startups, we have those titles, but in my opinion, it's title inflation. Um, so <laughs> the job at hand is still the job at hand. So uh, for a CEO who needs to have a role in, in sales um, with the largest customers would probably be the main role, right? So in, no matter what size company you are, your largest customers deserve to know your CEO. Agreed. Um, and the senior leaders at that company should be introduced to your CEO and they should have access to your CEO and they should um, understand the vision, the mission, and how you want to help them. And only a CEO can really portray that. But be careful when I say this, you know, we are talking about a complex sale. I don't bring in a CEO to meet with a VP of sales or a director of sales or a director of marketing or director of ops. I only bring my CEO in if they are bringing their CEO in or the highest level person. So if I'm a hundred million dollar company selling to a billion dollar company, I'm not going to get to introduce my CEO to their CEO. Yeah. Yeah. That does, that's not going to happen. Right. But I might be able to get them to meet the general manager of the division I'm working with. And I think that would be extremely appropriate. Okay. Um, or I might be able to get them to meet the CMO who is the final decision maker for this uh, sale that we're going to make. So we need to be very strategic when we have a complex sale in positioning everyone at our company in the right place, our subject matter experts, um, our sales leader, our CEO, our CMO, our, in some cases, our CFO, all of them can help us with these really large companies to make them feel comfortable buying from us and to let them have access to our C-suite, but they would have to bring in the appropriate levels, you know, in order to do that. So the CEO's role can be to meet with these higher level people. The, the other piece that the CEO has to be really careful about is resources. Now, they're looking over the resources of the entire company, but many times they simply are not giving sales the resources that are needed to hit the goals they have set. So their investors want these, you know, this humongous growth and the C-suite, you know, their team wants this humongous growth, but sales is operating on a shoestring budget and marketing isn't necessarily doing their part to really make it any easier. But it's always the salesperson's fault when they don't hit the number. Right. Yeah. And so in my opinion, it's always the CEO's fault when the salespeople don't hit their number. Because when sales are down, stop looking around and look at yourself in the mirror. So that goes for everybody from the salesperson up to the CEO. When sales are down, look in the mirror, salesperson. Look in the mirror, sales leader. Look in the mirror, you know, CRO, CEO. 
and what, ask yourself, what have I done to either inhibit sales or enable sales? So if yeah. I allowed a bad sales leader to continue and continue being a bad sales leader and their sales team doesn't hit their number, whose fault is that? Not the salespeople, not the sales leader. It's my fault because I allowed that person to continue working in that role. I love it. I think that's a very powerful message. And um, I think every person who's ever carried a bag or held a quota has probably felt some frustration when they don't hit their number and they're the ones that are blamed for it. Um, and then you look around and you're like, okay, there's 30 other things that didn't happen, be which inhibited me from hitting my number. So I, I appreciate that you're telling CEOs to look in the mirror first and kind of take that extreme ownership, right? What did I do wrong that stopped us from hitting this goal? Because uh, ultimately I feel like it stops, stops at the top, right? You want, you want the title, the responsibility goes with the title. So, um, to recap our time today, Alice, I think three things really stood out to me. One, um, don't just hire kind of skills, right? Have goals, right? And these are kind of short, middle, long-term goals for onboarding sales reps, right? It's, it's maybe prospecting goals or some type of learning kind of goes back to your, your background in education. Do you have a curriculum and key kind of drivers along the way? Number two, be patient. It's going to take a little bit more time for sales reps to go through the onboarding process. I love that you talked about psychology. Um, that is probably one of my favorite things to talk about in sales is how we use psychology to influence others. Um, and then third, look in the mirror, right? Regardless of your position, you know, what, what ownership can you personally take? What responsibility are you taking towards the outcomes of your goal? And that really starts um, at the top. So I appreciate your time today. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, I just want everybody to remember in a complex sale, and this is probably true for other sales as well, but so much so in a complex sale, the only true indicator that an opportunity is moving forward is the action of the customer, not the seller. And many, many times in the complex sale, the salesperson and the sales team and, and all the subject matter experts and all the people at, at the seller's company are doing all these things to support this opportunity moving forward. But the buyers, the, the buying influences, the people who are involved, right, in making the decision are not moving forward. They are not taking action. They are not taking the next step. And so this is why we have inaccurate forecasts in the complex sale. This is why it gets so difficult for CEOs and sales leaders to forecast because the salespeople think the opportunity is moving forward because they have done all the things they were supposed to do. But what they fail to realize is that the people who are buying are not moving forward at the same pace that they're moving forward may need more information, some help making decisions, some guidance, some insights. And we're, we're not giving them to them because we don't even understand that they need them. And then we put down a close date based on what our best guess was and maybe some clues from the, from the customer and it's not accurate. And then we miss our forecast. So please, everyone out there who's listening, remember that if you are unsure whether an opportunity is moving forward or not, it's probably because you've done the work you were supposed to do, but the customer isn't moving along with you. They haven't given you the indications. They haven't taken those steps or done the actions 
that would actually move that opportunity forward toward the close. Love it. So just because I've sent my prospect 16 emails, like I said I was going to, doesn't mean that it's going to close in two weeks. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. I hope our listeners got some nuggets of wisdom out of today's call. And um, we'll look forward to talking to you soon, Alice. Thanks so much. And uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you.